When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. And today it's me again, your host, Neil Dunworth, but I am joined by a really big name. I am joined by a really, really huge <laughs> name from the United States. Um, oh. I'm joined by Josh Norris. You guys may know him from, from, uh, from the Twitter sphere. Josh uh, is with Roto World, who are um, an analytics-driven fantasy, um, American sports-based uh, company, essentially. And you may know where this podcast is going. We're going to look at analytics within American sports and, and, and how, how the numbers dictate the play and dictate the... Um, I suppose uh, how how people feel about the sport as well, and how you can how you can predict the sports. But I'm butchering it right here, trying to explain it. I'm going <laughs> to let Josh do it because uh, uh, I'm overly simplifying it. Josh, how are you doing today? And welcome to the podcast. Neil, I am I am wonderful. I will admit that I've done a lot of podcasts, but this is my first Aston Villa based podcast, and I am thrilled for it. I'm sure we'll get into the story of how I've become so attached to this club that I've. You know, never met any of the fans. I've I've never obviously attended Villa Park, but it, it has my heart. And as we know, at times Villa can make it full of life, but also rip it out of your your the pit of your chest as well. So uh, I'm I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. That's a, you know what a better what better place to start than how did you develop a love for Aston Villa all the way over in the states? So I, I Roto World is a part of NBC Sports, um, mm-hmm. and NBC Sports is you know, one of the three or four major networks in the United States. They actually have a partnership with Sky. Um, mm-hmm. So I moved up to Connecticut where NBC Sports' headquarters were seven years ago. 
almost eight years ago now. And that was the first year that we had the Premier League rights. And so that was honestly the first time, other than the small channel that you had to pay extra for called Fox Soccer Channel, the first time that Americans could, on a Saturday, watch each and every match of of the Premier League and on Sundays and, you know, whenever else they play. So it's kind of the first time it was really approachable. And I worked in the newsroom at NBC Sports and all of us who were in, you know, around 24, 25 at the time said, okay, we need to pick a, a PL team because it's going to be surrounding us for so often. And, you know, so many chose Spurs, so many chose Chelsea, Man City, um, because of my background in prospects and team building, I really wanted to find a club that, you know, wasn't consistently winning, but at the time was considered on the rise. And at the time, uh, you know, yeah. it was Chris, Christian Benteke just had a, a fantastic season. You had other young players like Fabian Delph. Some might even call Landry Bakuna a young player at the time. And so this, and they had history, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so that, that just seemed like the right avenue for me to attach myself to a club that was then on the rise and then could be considered top six, top seven, whatever. And Neo, we know what happened after that. <laughs> but honestly, honestly, my love for them has only grown, especially in the last two years of the championship. There was even a time when they were in the championship that you couldn't even in the United States see the matches. You had mm -hmm. to listen on local radio calls and I would do that on Saturday mornings. But um, it really is something that in the last two or three years has really consumed this fandom because I work in NFL football that has kind of departed. I grew up loving that so much, but, but this has found that spot and, and I absolutely love it because of it. And that's, that, that's a fantastic story because there's so many, there's such a huge market in the United States for, uh, for the Premier League. And, and, you know, as you mentioned with NBC, uh, ironically enough, I watch a lot of the games on NBC. Uh, maybe hmm. not the, you know, it, it might be the, the, the most common way to watch them. But obviously here in Ireland and in the UK, you'll have certain games will be slated in for uh, for television and other ones won't. But, you know, if you can find NBC or if you can get NBC, you can watch the game. So I watch an awful lot of Jack Hislop and, 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 and all those guys doing, uh, doing commentary. And I actually really like it. I uh, Sometimes the pundits... If you listen to enough of the podcast, you'll know that I don't really like a lot of the pundits in the UK. But uh, that's for that's for that's nearly. I was going to say for another podcast, but it's nearly for every podcast that that needs to be said. But the guys in NBC are usually a bit more measured, a bit more rational, and they speak a small bit more about what actually happens in the game as opposed to what kind of beef they've got with players that are playing at the field. So um, I'm very familiar with NBC, and I really really like their their coverage. I'll, I'll tell you this, Neil. You're right. There is a market here in the United States that I think is really growing. And I, it's mostly with a younger audience. You know, I don't, I don't think the older crowd really get into it, you know, the, the 40 plus because, and maybe 50 plus, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. because they still view, let's say, European football as, as diving and falling and not enough excitement and those types of things. Um, which is honestly something eight or nine years ago, I had that same stereotype of it. Mm -hmm. But what I think has changed it in a lot of eyes for definitely the under 30 crowd is FIFA. It's the video game because mm -hmm. that has kind of overtaken the, the joy of, of Madden, which is the NFL video game that EA Sports takes it, 
uh, puts out and, and NBA 2K, FIFA has become this wave of, of excitement for, for young people to play. And because of that, they fall in love with players, they fall in love with clubs. And I think that that's only hitting its, its starting point here. And it's something that has really, really taken off. Yeah, it's, it's. I suppose it's. You, you kind of underestimate it sometimes that a computer game can have that that effect. And obviously, you know, the players in the Premier League, I know Aston Villa don't have a massive American name. Yes, we've got Indiana Vasilev, and we hope that he does climb to the heights of maybe someone like Christian Pulisic or, or um, even. I was a very big advocate of trying to raid uh, Wigan to try and sign Anthony Robinson. You know, we consider right. just simply because of the U.S. connection to work with the fact that we've got Wes Edens of the Milwaukee Bucks and to try and build that that U.S. connection because the market is just exploding there, as you said, and especially amongst young people. Well, if Brad Guzan didn't did it, didn't do it, who who could, right? So, <laughs> and Brad Friedel as well. Yeah, so we, we do have our fair share of uh, fair share of uh, of Americans down through the years uh, that have graced Villa Park, indeed, indeed. Um, and I suppose, really, you know, I mentioned it at the very start of the podcast too that Villa are now embarking on a new venture towards the, the age of analytics. And I spoke to you afterwards, uh, or I spoke to you, should I say, beforehand. Um, I follow the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. Um, for my detriment, you. kind of like you, I wanted to, I wanted to pick an NFL team in two thousand and five, and Randy Lerner took over Aston Villa in two thousand and six. Started following the Cleveland Browns, and they were kind of on the up. My first season, they actually had a, they, they had a winning season and I was there yeah this might be so bad they're on the up and then they were just absolutely putrid for 14 years after that so it's 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 been no real fun um but they have also decided to embark and embrace the age of analytics as Villa Mm -hmm. are are, seem to be doing now with the appointment of Johan Lang and um you know the appointment of 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 um his name escapes me the the director of 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 recruiting that was uh, appointed yesterday um it is going towards an analytics based uh, spreadsheet scouting which for me i think is very very good and obviously in american sports analytics is key it seems to be key especially some sports more than others like obviously baseball like you can't you can't watch a game of baseball without being flooded by numbers right has it always been that way, or is that a new phenomenon within within American sports, uh, or and is, or is the rest of the world just catching up to what the data can tell you? Well, I think the rest of American sports is still catching up to baseball. You know, baseball started about what 15, 20 years ago, and I think it is most easily put into practice in baseball because everything is a one-on-one matchup, right? So pitcher to hitter that is a one-on-one result and so you can have a positive or a negative after that then hitter to fielder that's one-on-one then fielder to runner that is one-on-one right all these other sports just have so many other elements attached to them either with you know uh, european football with 11 people on the field or basketball with five people on the court you know nfl obviously with 11 as well so it's 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 one where that has become more difficult now with that said about baseball and what that allowed them to do of the Oakland A's. And, you know, if you watch Moneyball, that, you know, is a, is a Hollywood version of it, but there is some truth to it where, you know, the Oakland A's have never been the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. And they were able to really capitalize on market deficiencies. And that's really what the point of analytics is. It's just adding more information in the hopes of coming up with, with a, a better decision. 
and finding areas where, you know, others aren't looking and in order to build a, a roster because of it. Now with basketball, I don't know how much of that you follow, but you know, there was this wave, I would say in only the last eight or so years where they have basically eliminated the mid-range jump shot. So a step or two or three inside of the three-point line, teams rarely take those anymore. Either they are close to the basket or they're taking three-pointers. And the point being, you know, if, if you uh, make four out of 10 three-pointers, that is 12 points uh, compared to needing six out of 10 in terms of your mid-range jump shot, right, to match that. So um, I, th- I think that that was kind of the next wave of, of analytics in, in, in sports in the United States. Yeah, and, and even something I suppose is when you talk about market inefficiencies, I suppose the, the analytics side of things there, even, even that, that analogy that you used there about the mid-range jump shot, um, it is something that when people try it now, you almost nearly expect that it's going to be a loss of possession. Uh, whereas right. before, people made a career out of that mid-range jump shot, you know, and uh, people won championships off that mid-range jump shot. And, and it looks good when it goes in, but it was so inefficient in the amount of scoring you could do from it that, that it was, it's, it's almost been abolished from the sport. Uh, and the sport has almost abolished itself, you know, it, it from it itself, which is, I suppose, the self-regulating nature of, of, of the evolution of sport, I think, really, as well, which is all comes about by analytics. And when you when you look at um, uh, uh, you know I suppose the American American sports side of things, and I always find it fascinating that you have all this data about about the sports, and a lot of sports can be very tactically um, they're very tactically rigid, as in you know the team that's attacking knows exactly what they're doing at all given times, and the team that are defending has maybe a fifty percent chance of stopping them, fifty percent of mm. not. They can they can maybe guess it or they can't. So the the how am I going? How am I trying? What am I trying to say here? The the spontaneity of attack is sometimes is is kind of can be taken out of the game because it's it's almost like warfare. It's pre pre prescribed plays, and what I kind of what I'm getting at here is that betting in the United States is not prevalent on sports. Sports books are not prevalent hmm. where it's absolutely made for sports book Becky, and maybe that's why because there's so much so much so many numbers behind it. Well, there. And I totally agree with you. I mean, someone who has worked in fantasy sports now for almost a decade, I maybe should not say this on a podcast that other my, my bosses could listen to, but on, on some level, fantasy sports is betting, right? I mean, there is, it's a game of chance. It's a game of luck at time. It can also be a game of skill, obviously. Now, as you know, Americans in general have just been not receptive to sports betting. Uh, now that is is that is changing quite a bit, and that's only changed in the last three or four years. And if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, it's something called PASPA, and your listeners can look that up if, if you want to. But um, I think so much of it is it was like this underground thing that you know you had to have a bookie who, uh, if you didn't pay him, would come to your front door with like a sledgehammer and beat you up if you didn't pay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's only something, yeah, it's it's only something that like once it's regulated, then it's it's just going to eliminate all of the the gray area. And I'm with you that there is so much data now. In fact, there might be too much that you can kind of come to a decision or a conclusion, no, no matter which one you want to come to, based on data that is out there to support your idea. Um, I'll also say this, and this is kind of going backtracking a little bit. 
I think that analytics can be used not just in how the game is played, um, but also in team building. Like there are two sides of it, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's trends that your opponents have. It's for, for American football, let's put it this way. Um, if a game is in a certain neutral situation, so only a touchdown above or ahead or behind, what, what is like the pass percentage of the team that you're playing against? You know, some might run the ball 70% of the time. Some might pass the ball 70% of the time in that case. So just knowing that about your opponent and their trends and their tendencies before you get started, that is one element of, of how analytics can be used in American football. But then the other part is how teams like the Seattle Seahawks in the last decade or so were ahead of the curve on prioritizing athleticism in players composite scores in players because as you know the addition of players in american sports is quite different than that of european sports we have drafts you don't just be you're not able just to join a sports team when you're 10 years old and work through their academy and so finding the areas that you can take advantage of and acquiring those talents when everyone is completely uneven playing field because of of salary caps um to me that is fascinating stuff of how American football or, or NBA basketball has been able to to incorporate analytics as well. That's and the Seahawks, I suppose, really are the they're the like you mentioned the Seahawks in the NFL. They came up with the idea of taller cornerbacks. Like they they like their taller cornerbacks. They're the six two six six three three cornerbacks, and most teams don't go for that. Like with the five ten five eleven would be the, I suppose, the wheelhouse for most uh, most cornerbacks. But they see it differently, and they obviously had the legion of boom. With their with their de- with their defense that won won the Super Bowl and it was completely constructed differently to anybody else in the league. You actually said something in a previous episode that made me exactly think of the Seahawks because you said, at, I think it was when Villa Analytics was on and you were talking about Johan Lang and um, how they can narrow the scope of what they're searching for based on parameters that they set up in analytics. That's exactly what the Seahawks have done. Um, it's height, but it's also arm length. Like we, we have all these measurements when mm-hmm. looking at players at the NFL combine. Um, some of them are crazy, but one of hand, them is, is hand arm. size, hand size, hand size yes. Quarterbacks. yes. <laughs> um, but, but arm length is one. And there was a period of time when every single outside cornerback that the Seattle Seahawks drafted, like of their last 14 of them, all had 32 plus inch arms. Now, there might be 200, 300 cornerbacks in the entire NFL draft each and every year. Only about 30 or 35 have 32 plus inch arms. So what that does is, yes, you are absolutely, absolutely going to miss out on talented players who could even go on and be all pros with other teams. But if you are evaluating for your own scheme, what that allows you to do is, okay, we are not looking outside corners at the other 200 names out there. All that we were going to do is evaluate the 30, 35 that have 32 plus inch arms. And so theoretically, that just allows you to have a better evaluation, improve evaluation, because you're not stretching your time or or your power across 200 names, it's only on those 35 names. And their success, um, especially before other teams caught on, showed in that element. So, And that's going to be music to Aston Villa fans' ears for the simple fact that for years and years on end, and I think it goes 
in, in hand in hand with the instability at manager, the scattergun approach. You know, like I saw a report today that Aston Villa were linked with, or maybe not linked to it, but it was suggested that Jesse Lingard would be a great fit for them. Now, if there was a player in the Premier League that I would run as fast as I possibly could have away yeah. from, it would be Jesse Lingard. That's And that's just me. And I think even if you look at analytically, he didn't score a goal all last year until the 97th minute of the very last game. And that poor guy who had a bet on that we would have won, I think it was like two and a half thousand pounds um, if uh, Jesse Lingard didn't score uh, all year. And he scored in the last kick of the game, 97th minute from a, from a defensive error. But Jesse Lingard isn't what Villa need. Culturally, he isn't what they need. Um, his skill set isn't what they need. Yes, you could play. He's a right winger. Yes, but this is and this is exactly what you said. He's a right winger, but we need to. We will see the parameters will be set for the right winger that Villa want and need to fit into Dean Smith's style of play. Instead of just buying a right winger, like maybe we did a couple of years ago, maybe ten years ago with Chad's and Zogbia, we sold um, Ashley Young, and then we sold we bought Chad's and Zogbia because he was a left winger, but they weren't the same player and they didn't have the same skill sets, and he didn't fit in. With the with the team as it as it went forward, so that's a really exciting point that you mentioned there. That uh, um, I suppose that profiles of players will match what the team is looking for, as opposed to the scattergun approach. And they can just again narrow the time that they spent on on certain players. And the other element for this that I've I've really found fascinating, especially with American football, is the idea of athleticism. Um, I you know. There's something called the NFL Combine. I don't know how much you need to explain to everyone out there. But in the NFL, college players, when they're about 21, 22, or 23, declare for the NFL draft and are hopefully selected in about 235 picks each and every year that the NFL is able to, to bring in players. And if you're undrafted, then you can still get at it. But there's an event every February that about 200 athletes who are trying to make the NFL – get invited to and it's it's a one day workout for each position and they go and you know run a 40 yard dash they try to do a vertical jump a broad jump uh they do shuttle drills agility drills so on and so forth for so long athleticism was defined by just the 40 yard dash and just speed um until i've stumbled upon if, if your listeners who are into American football want to check it out. Zach Whitman of, of three stigma football.com does a great job. It's an idea of, of composite scores because why, why should we only have the, the 40 be the universal measurement of athleticism and why not incorporate everything else along with weight because weight matters because there's a much different, it, it, it drastically different. If, if someone runs Again, I'll go back to a 40, runs a four, four second 40 at 235 pounds, and then someone runs a four, four 40 at, you know, 190 pounds. I mean, it's a 40 pound difference. There's yeah. force, there's momentum, there's all that stuff. So basically, what composite score does is it, it, it puts a figure on each of those numbers. And then in the end, you just have the score. And these numbers have been aggregated for decades and decades and decades. So that allows you to compare the fitness, the athleticism of someone who is just coming into the league now with maybe some of the best players who have come into the league in 2005 or 2001. And so it puts a certain percentage on them. And I don't think it's you know universal that it matters as much for a running back as it does for a defensive end, but you can learn these things. You can gauge them. And it also allows you for late round selections that rarely hit to maybe take athletes in the hopes that you can coach them up. 
And to me, that has been one part of this evaluation sphere that I've really grabbed onto because it has been rejected countless times, year over year and decades over decades. But I have found so many players who I like coming into the NFL who fit that mold of athlete that other people are overlooking who then go on to be some of the best in the NFL at their position. And so just for me, and maybe this is my own bias, I think it works. And I, I still think that some on the outside looking in are, are rejecting it. I think it's more um, popular in the NFL than given credit for. But as you know, as an NFL supporter, uh, they get very cagey and, and defensive whenever you bring up anything of, of how the sausage is made. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's a great term. Exactly. How the sausage is made. We just want to see, see what's in the eating, but we don't want to see what's, how, how it's actually made. Um, and that, what you, what you actually hit on there was that the composition, body composition, athletic profiling of people through a more broader street, lens, should I say, than just the, the, the 40 and the bench press um, is definitely something that, the, that you're seeing is coming, becoming more prevalent in the NFL. And I suppose you're, you do, a, a, in case, I, I hate saying this because people probably know it already, but you, you obviously do Roto World's football uh, podcast uh, and, and you focus on, on fantasy football and uh, fantasy NFL. I suppose I'm going to call it because we might talk about fantasy football in, in the Premier League sense of the word in a moment. Um, but with fantasy sports, you tend to see it an awful lot more that people are over, uh, like higher draft picks in the NFL are maybe over, um, they're over coveted in a real world sense as opposed to in a fantasy yes. sense. Like like most of the people you'd see, you could, you could be drafting. Like I remember, remember I got a steal in Kenny Galladay from the Detroit, Detroit Lions as a rookie. I looked at him, I saw him, looked at a few of his games. I said, this guy's pretty brilliant. And I got a steal. <laughs> I think I got him with my last pick. And now he's one of the most coveted wide receivers. So from a fantasy point of view, looking at the stats, looking at the measurables, looking at the, at the intangibles for for years past of guys that have done it before can be quite beneficial. And, you know, without putting back the, I suppose, the curtain on fantasy sports completely, completely, how much time would you guys put into actually running the data on fantasy sports? And, and it's a good question. Uh, a lot. I mean, I, I spend way too much time watching football and, you know, I'll end up during a week, watching every every game and so that's 16 games a week right mm -hmm. but then there's that only lasts for us we have shortened seasons from september until january basically yeah um but then the off season is basically spent by a lot of people digging through what matters what doesn't the trends and the tendencies that we talked about um you know i'll just list a few here that that always um stand out to me. You know, there's a, a percentage of snaps leading, there's red zone trips, and the red zone is inside the 20-yard line, and, you know, something like 70% of all NFL touchdowns or 80% are scored inside the red zone, and, and there's a massive difference, namely four points, I think, you know, it's not massive, but of, of scoring a touchdown versus selling for a field goal. You know, I mentioned the pass percentage in neutral game script situations. There's also passes, there's something called air yards, which is um, a quarterback throwing to a wide receiver and it's not the total distance of what the play equals, but it's just how far the, the ball travels downfield. Um, so if a, a, you know, a, a wide receiver might catch a pass five yards down the field and take it 70 yards and on, on the stat sheet on, on the box score, it might say that's a 75 yard reception, but really the quarterback had to do nothing. All he had to do was throw it five yards. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's so much to it. 
I would say that that is not my specialty. I think what my specialty is, is figuring out to me what matters the most of what everyone else is aggregating and putting together because there are so many smart people out there, unpaid or paid, working in the league and not, um, working for websites or not, or starting their own thing, who just have great ideas. And so figuring out what works and figuring out what matters um, to me is, is interesting because there's something new each and every year with all of it. And I don't know if that answers your question, but um, there's just, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it, but in the end, you are also trying to gauge humans who have personalities and feelings and emotions and they're not robots. And so even if your process is correct, the result might be wrong. Um, and I'm sure that happens a lot in every sport as well. So you actually couldn't have answered my question better because I was trying to tee you up to, to, to <laughs> in a way to, um, to kind of broach the subject of yesterday. We obviously, uh, we made a, and this, this, the man's name escaped me and I just had to look him up there. I got, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know how I missed his name, but Rob McKenzie came in and there was a lot of chatter that we've brought in Johan Lang as our director of football, our technical director, and then we brought in a head of recruitment. So as you mentioned there, that, that you know, everybody's going to have different specialities here. And I think one of the biggest things in the, in the uh, Premier League is that we're so used to having a manager figurehead, maybe one coach underneath him, and that's it. And the manager does everything because Bob Paisley did it before, because Alex Ferguson did it before, because, uh, you know, Tony Barton, Ron Saunders, uh, whoever, you, you, you know, you name it, they did it before, and that's how they did it before it became such a wide, um, overarching global game. Now you need these pieces of expertise. And Aston Villa, we're in 2020, and Aston Villa are only getting them now. You know, and um, and that's really interesting that you say that, that, that just because we were hiring all these people, we just hired Craig Shakespeare, um, just came in as our assistant head coach. And he's obviously going to have a different skill set to John Terry, that's going to have a different skill set to Richard O'Keefe and obviously to, to Dean Smith. And, and these are all positives because the structure of the team is there. If nothing else, Let's say that Dean Smith gets coronavirus, or hopefully he doesn't after you know the, the horrible situation that happened with his with his father, but at least you've got some more um you know experience in the dugout now to help. You know, and this is this is very very prevalent because a lot of NFL teams are doing this now. It's the next man up mentality, but having that contingency plan of having someone else in there. So having that skill set um across the board is a different skill set, should I say, across the board is very, very important. And we're finally seeing it with Villa. Well, it's, it's just more information. In its simplest mm -hmm. form, that's all that it is. And as you know, if a team spends an offseason or brings in someone like Eric, to, like, not Eric DaCosta, but um, other names across the league who are analytics-based, mm -hmm. let's put it that way, and say, okay, there's going to be a perception of us on the outside that now we're solely analytics driven. That is absolutely not the case with any franchise, you know, and all that it does is it just allows for more checks, more balances, and it gets rejected so often. And it, it's changing a little bit here, but it gets rejected so often here by the cocoon, by the old school mentality of these sports leagues that have been around forever, done it the same way forever. But it, it's something that needs to change. And I didn't tell you this, Neil, but I actually worked for an NFL team for a little bit, for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And they were the then St. Louis Rams, okay? Yes. And I worked in their scouting department. And 
I mean, it was so old school. All it, all it was, was the eye in the sky does not lie. And I think there's something to that. And at my core, I am someone who, like you, loves to watch someone like Kenny Galladay see that, oh, he has talent on these handful of plays and um, shows where he wins and, and, and prioritizes where he wins. And if he can do that for an NFL season, then he can really break out. But we also have our biases, you know? And that is something that we need to be more knowledgeable of and aware of and open about. And what doesn't really have a bias are is data, our statistics, our analytics. And so they can make us question or, or at least open doors that, that weren't there in, in before or ideas that weren't there before. Um, so I don't know how it is approached over there or welcomed over there, but it, it has started to change. But that has taken nine or 10 years in the NFL to do so. And do Roto World, uh, I know you probably can't answer this question, but do Roto World have any, um, have any interest in getting into the fantasy game of, of um, soccer as such? <laughs> uh, because the Luke, it's becoming a more and more lucrative market, you know, the fantasy. Do you, do you play fantasy Premier League at all? I do not. I mean, I, I, I think I have enough heartache with, with what Aston Villa brings me that I don't also <laughs> don't need my, my team losing on a Monday or a Tuesday from the week. Um, I don't even know. I mean, I know there's probably multiple versions of how it's played. We do have a, a, a PL section. Um, and maybe what Rotoworld is at, it, at its base, at its foundation, is the news aggregation site. So, you know, we'll, we'll read a column that is a thousand words long and pick out a hundred words that is the most meaningful for everyone out there. So even if you don't play fantasy sports or if you just watch NFL football or NBA or whatever it is, go and check out the site because it does allow – just for you to, in a full day, not have to read 17 columns and instead, you know, read 17 blurbs of news that we, that we give you. But there is a PL section. I've never played it. Maybe you can introduce me to it sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be too happy to. And, and the, the NFL is becoming a lot more prevalent, even over this side of the water with obviously the Wembley games and playing in Tottenham Stadium. And, and even here in Ireland, whereby we usually have a college game every year we'll be played in Ireland. This year it was supposed to be Boston College and... Oh, the name escapes me again. Uh, I think it was Boston College and Army, maybe, was who was supposed to yeah. oh, but uh, I think it was Boston College or and Navy. Army. Yeah, or Navy. Sorry, it was actually Navy. It was the, it was the two of them. But uh, obviously, it was called off due to, due to coronavirus. Um, but yeah, it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And even here in, in Galway, we have a, a Cleveland Browns backers club. There's about eight or nine of us to meet up and watch the games. So, like, who okay. would have thought? The only one in Ireland. <laughs> let, let, let's eliminate, and I will not judge you for any of this, okay? Because I'm genuinely curious, and I'm trying not to hijack your podcast here. But what, what is your view of the Browns? Like, what is your view of the current team? Or do you have any favorites? Do you have any least favorites? Is, is there optimism? Is there pessimism? Or, or just how you view the players and the team in general? It's funny because the, the Browns and Aston Villa are on the exact same, I think are on the exact same trajectory path as a team at the moment. It could go either way. We don't know. We're Everyone's expecting us to fail, but we're set up for success and it's up for both franchises, up for the Kim Browns franchise or, the, or Aston Villa Football Club to, to make their own success. They're both becoming analytics driven. They're both looking at signing young uh, good up and coming athletic players like I would I would equate the signing of Tyrone Mings to to, to Miles Garrett. I would equate 
Jack Grealish to, to Baker Mayfield. They're very similar types of teams. They're very similar um, people. Uh, Tyrone Mings being very social justice uh, orientated. Miles Garrett, you couldn't get any more social justice orientated. Miles Garrett took off a helmet and hit Mason Rudolph. Tyrone Mings was was pilloried, from, was was uh, thrown from pillar to post for stamping on Zlat, um, I think it was Zlatan Ibrahimovic. You know, so guys, good guys who did silly thing on the field and got pillared for it. Um, there's there's so many, so many comparisons between the two. We've got, mm. uh, you know, as I say, the analytics side of both, of both things and and two teams that really, really have a fan base like no other from, from a passionate type of support and from, a, from like starved of success, but really historic... Like Aston Villa created the, the the Premier or not the Premier League, but they created the football league, the football pyramid. How you actually play a league a league uh, place? It was it was, uh, it was created by William McGregor. And the Cleveland Browns are synonymous with Paul Brown and setting up of the NFL and being you know Ohio being a, a hotbed of football. So the similarities are amazing between the two clubs, and that's I, I do see them on the exact same kind of trajectory of it is it is they're setting themselves up for massive success if they can get it right but it's all about getting it right two thoughts one you're you're very lucky that there is no relegation in american football because <laughs> we know we know the cleveland browns might have uh forced you to pull your hair out every once in a while if that were the case but two the other element is that the nfl season is so short you know there's mm-hmm. only 16 games right and there's so many there's so many games so many matches where the difference is one or two plays or three plays. And that can change the course of a 16 game season, but it's so different with the PL, which is a what 38 match season that there's such a, uh, that really, when you think about it and only, I mean, we talk about from week to week standards, from a statistical standpoint, even a season of 16 games is a tiny, tiny sample size. Yet we come to these massive conclusions of that. So at the very least, I mean, obviously the PL is, is double the length in terms of a season plus that from a statistical standpoint, it would take two years for the same amount of data and not even reach the, the amount that you can get from one year from, from the PL standpoint. So maybe that's another reason why um, we're still trying to figure it out in our end over here. So and maybe so, maybe so. So I suppose I've got one last question for you, Josh, is what would you like to see? What would, what would you like to see Villa do in this off season? Where do you feel that Villa need to, to maybe buck up their ideas or, or, or uh, I suppose really kind of improving in recruitment wise? First of all, I'm, I mean, I have such a sickness that <laughs> I wake up before my alarm every single morning, just naturally. And first thing I do is grab my phone and just am crossing my fingers that there's like one signing, you know, because <laughs> I think, I think the first signing, like this should be a celebratory period for all of us as, as supporters. Right. But I feel like there's so much tension still, like there's anxiety still. Mm. And I, and hopefully that first signing eases that just, just a little bit. Um, I mean, we could go into names if you want to, I could go on, for way too long about that, a wish list. But really what I want is, is comfort on the ball, is, is creativity, and it's, and it's pace. Because outside of Jack Grealish, a healthy John McGinn, and Douglas Louise, how he finished in the, in the final 10 matches, there is no one in that front six 
that is truly comfortable on the ball, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's, that's half of it, but, but I mean, you need at least one or two or three more names that really have that comfort on it. And whenever I see, and I like all these names that I'm about to bring up, you know, I have no hatred for any Aston Villa player at all, but I think we are allowed to be critical. Whenever you see, you know, Marvelous Nakamba not being able to complete a, a, a six yard pass or Trezeguet being like, I don't know if you know this film, but the guy in D2, the Mighty Ducks who can run really fast, but can't stop. Can't stop. Um, <laughs> Or, or, or Enwar Ogazi, who has those moments but just can't string it together. Or Ali Samata and Keenan Davis, who, who do some you know, solid things and, and positive things, yet the finishing just is not there. I just want two or three names, and especially one that can come off the bench, who is, has is comfort and, and, and is creative and is confident on the ball. Because right now, that seems sorely lacking. Does that make sense? Absolutely, one hundred percent, and and yeah, and I think they're the marquee signings. They're going to be the the I suppose the lifeblood of this transfer window. And however they get them in, we may not be we may not be overwhelmed by the names. Like Ollie Watkins is one name that's been thrown around, and everybody says, "Yeah, Ben Rama's better," but maybe Ben Rama doesn't. Maybe we get both of them. I think is 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 probably a fair cop, but uh, it it might be a situation whereby Ollie Watkins fits into exactly what Dean Smith wants to do now. And I think we will see a bit of that, that uh, we will get players with um, attributes that will fit a game style, I think. And I think we saw that towards the end of last year. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm quietly confident. And I'm quietly, not quietly, actually, I'm, I'm overtly and completely out there um, optimistic about next year. But I'm going to be optimistic Me about too. the signings that we make as well, you know, because it's because in the cold light of day, I think some of the signings we made last year, while they maybe didn't hit the ground early, they hit the ground when they needed to. And that's very right. important. And we know what it was 10 to 11 signings last last year, right? Mm-hmm. If not more than that. Yeah. And I know it's not necessarily that because so many had previously played with the club, but all of them weren't hits right? Mm-hmm. Like th- yeah. there is a certain hit rate. And this is especially the case in American football where, you know, you at least have seven draft picks and you might have more or less depending on how many are traded or given to you. But in the end, there's only about a 30% hit rate when acquiring American football talent in those draft picks. And that's like the standard, like yeah. you're, you're failing no matter what, like no one is good at player evaluation or, or drafting in the NFL. Now I think Aston Villa's hit rate from the last transfer window was higher than, than 30%, we would all say that. But, and I understand spending more money means you are more certain of your evaluations and you're almost certainly getting a player who is more proven, but it almost feels like they have to hit 100% this transfer mm-hmm. window, right? In order for them to become a mid-table side. Now, I don't think much has to really change for them to hopefully not be in the relegation fight towards the end of the year, you know, having a more experienced striker, someone who's a confident finisher, some people who are creative on, on the outside. But I would even look, and I don't know if this is just the, a weird name. And again, it's so weird. It feels sometimes uncomfortable for me to talk about these names because there's probably such a different perception that you all have for these names over there. But even someone like John Swift, who I believe is coming from Reading, correct? Yeah. Who... Yeah. You know, I would not look at him as a starter because he could not supplant any of the Jack or Johns or Douglases. But as kind of that first midfielder off the bench who has some flair, who has some comfort, doesn't have the pace. But that that type of of signing for, you know, eight or nine or hopefully less than 10 
to me, I wouldn't even get excited about. It doesn't have to be a Tammy. It doesn't have to be a Divac Origi. Yeah. It could just be elements of this team that are, that are missing. And I think that that's the biggest difference between this transfer window and last transfer window. They had to build a completely new side last year in a new club and new depth. This year, the, the, the holes, the, the deficiencies are obvious. And because of that, hopefully they can be filled with talents that do make them just a little bit better and, you know, climb four or five spots next season. That's all I'm hoping for. I'm actually in the same boat because uh, one of the big things I used to say quite often last year was that we as a club came up to the Premier League, had to do an overhaul, as is well known, and we came out of only having 16 Premier League players, quality Premier League quality players, and of those 16, two of them were goalkeepers. Actually, three of them were probably goalkeepers when you think about it. <laughs> and then when you lose John McGinn, when you lose Wesley, when you lose, uh, you know, whoever else, and then you had to go, you lose Tom Heaton, then you had to go and you had to buy, you had to bring in Pepperina, you had to buy Annie Samata and bring in D- Danny Drinkwater, and you're still at a net. Uh, you're probably you it's it's debatable you were probably at a net loss of one player you know so you're probably gone from 16 to, to 15 players at that stage you know so it was while we did have players that we could bring off the bench and so on it was when the five substitute rule was brought in after after lockdown it was like it was such an uphill struggle for us in that instance yeah. you know and, and yeah. not talking poorly about the players it was just would you prefer to bring on a christian pulisic uh, and would you prefer to bring on like you know all those stars that chelsea arsenal liverpool had or would you like would you chance bring on a indiana vasilev and seeing maybe if you can catch lightning in a bottle yeah so. um first of all how dare you forget borja baston how dare oh, sorry. you? Yes. Um, I'm just kidding. I might get him uh, on my shirt next year. <laughs> <laughs> second, you know, every person's player evaluations are different, right? Yeah. And as much as I would love someone like Tammy to come back, I, I just do not see how that is going to happen unless he forces the move, right? Unless yeah. he wants week in and week out starting. And I understand that us as a community wants to latch onto that because, I mean, I, we just loved his finishing and he was such a difference in that promotion season. But being able to, I think, take a step back, and maybe I improved completely wrong here, but I, I just don't see that necessarily happening. But, and, and you know, while Ollie Watkins isn't Tammy Abraham, I don't think so, you are able to have someone who inside the six-yard box last year seemed to be a very comfortable and confident finisher, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in that first touch. But then to me, if you do bring in someone like Watkins, you still absolutely need to prioritize two wingers who have that creativity, who have that delivery, who have that ability to create on their own. And it kind of seems like it's trending towards settling that striker position first and then working down towards there because that's where all the names are right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I don't think Ali Watkins is a bad player at all. I think he's extremely talented, but I do wonder how creative, and I understand he has that like that hybrid left wing ability to also play striker. And that is also sorely needed. And I understand wanting to shoot for the moon on the, the, the striker signing, but in a front three that is creative along with Jack, then that is something to me that is, is extremely exciting. And again, there's not that much of a difference from last year that needs to change in order for this team to climb those four or five spots and just having three exciting attacking players um, would, would I think change that immediately. So. 
and I'm absolutely looking forward to see who they bring in. Maybe I I think that there will be movement over the weekend. I actually thought there would be movement today, just considering with the shortened nature of the off season. And uh, I thought that maybe we might get someone in today. It might give him a time to maybe jet off for a week to relax and and uh, go on holidays or something, and then come back then for preseason training. But uh, I I don't know. Maybe they spring a surprise later on today. But uh, I think it is trending towards Ali Watkins and potentially Ben Ram as a start, and then I mean, we'll see where where it goes from there. I mean, that wouldn't that be incredible? That that would make me feel, especially with Ben Rama, who can play on that left wing, but also shift inside. Think about having that movement because to me they're quite similar players and you, you can correct me if you if you think otherwise with him and jack and so just the natural ability to weave in and out between the two of them i mean just just think of one being in jack's spot last year and jack being in connor's spot and just the movement and creativity that that would offer would be incredible why not neil why not wake up on monday morning have ali watkins and ben rama announced together with the kits holding up simultaneously I mean, that would help my sleep patterns tremendously. And I think all us fellow supporters would love it as well. Why not? Absolutely. I, I, don't, I, I don't think there would be anybody uh, other than maybe the most ardent curmudgeon that would give, uh, that would, would give the two fingers up to those two signings should, should they come in over the weekend. I, I, I am slightly nervous. And I know I keep going on and on. And if, if I'm taking too much of your time, let That's me know. Done, no. But um, the only name on the right wing that I have seen mentioned is Emmy Buendia right? Mm-hmm. I'm a little, and again, maybe that is kind of third on the list after they've, you know, waited to see what the championship final was like and, and what the price tags are going to be on Watkins and Benrama. But I am a little nervous because I think right wing is just as important as the other two positions as well. Because as much as more. we love Trezeguet's one time finish towards the end of the season and he came up massive and, you know, El Ghazi has his moments there needs to be a real player in that spot too for this to really be a team that can be taken to the next level. And maybe there's something in the Max Aaron's uh, signing that they're talking about from, from Norwich. Maybe they play him further up the field because we seem to be pretty, pretty well stocked. Even if you want to talk about Ezri Kanza being a right back, you've got Ahmed and Mohamedi, the old head and shoulders who came in, stabilized that right wing for or the right side for a long period of time and was our outlet for scoring goals. Even, you know, in the early part of, of the return after lockdown, you've got Freddie Wilbear who's got his great tackling ability. And then maybe Max Irons is deployed further up the field. Maybe they do move him a small bit forward, but it, it's, it's very interesting. You know, the, the positions that we have to fill are important positions. There are positions that can be filled with. Uh, I, I actually think they're probably the positions that you can fill with an analytical and a statistical uh, mindset because I don't think, I, I think it's a bit more difficult to fill a center half or to fill a defensive midfielder, um, a holding player's position from, from statistical ability. I think more so you can fit into a game plan what more uh, attacking players can do because players that have the ball at their feet that will travel with the ball that will dribble the ball that will cross the ball that will take shots once again you're getting back to the one-on-one aspect as you would from pitching and and batting in baseball you're getting back to the one-on-one aspect and it's becoming um, a lot more kind of uh, you can you can make correlations between numbers a small bit better in that instance I think that's a, a fantastic point. One final thing is it seemed like so much towards the beginning of the window and right after Villa did secure promotion, the constant buzz was that this team wants players with PL experience. Um, yes. If it, if it is Ali Watkins and if it is Saeed Ben Rama and let's say it is someone like Max Ahrens, 
that offers you very little PL experience yeah. from from the buzz that happened earlier in the offseason. Maybe I'm trying to like, you know, connect dots here that aren't worth connecting. But I'm sure that they have a plan because every organization does and mm -hmm. um, we are not in tune to what that plan is. But I think there would be allowed some hesitancy because of that, that, you know, the PL, there's not a wealth of PL experience in, in that trio. So it does make me wonder if one of the wingers is someone who, who does have more experience than just a season there, but who knows? I mean, again, we can all throw out our wish lists and at players we like, and you and I seem to like a lot of the same ones. Um, but as we know, last off season, it's, it, doesn't quite come to the names that you even know when you exactly. wake up on the morning and, and, and one is already signed. So exactly, exactly. And that's, that's why, um, I suppose transfer deadline day, uh, is, is always a massive day. There was a time in my life where I used to take both the January transfer deadline day and the, the summer transfer deadline day. I used to book them off work, uh, just take the day off and sit in front of the TV and, um, I'd like to say, thankfully, I've grown out of that, but I will still be consistently <laughs> checking my phone minute by minute to see who signed what, who signed who, and where who's coming to Villa or what the crazy rumors are. But um, yeah, that and that's the great thing about about the transfer window is because it's got a limited period that anybody can move at any time, and uh, you know you, there can be that crazy rumor that becomes real that becomes a signing, you know. So and I think we will get one or two of those this year for Aston Villa. And YouTube wasn't even available back then, so you couldn't go on and watch an eight-minute highlight reel and feel like you knew exactly everything about the player at the time. So. Absolutely. What, what did we ever do before we had eight-minute highlight reels to Euro pop, to Eastern European pop songs? You know, what did we ever do before those? Was, was football even invented back then? I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember. Josh, you've been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for popping on. I, I, I really mean it. You know, it is the, the correlation between the analytics and, and American sports is, is, is absolutely fascinating. And I know we probably only touched the, the, the tip of the iceberg on that, but it's, uh, it's something I think we'll hear an awful lot more with regards to, to the Aston Villa approach. And, um, you know, it's something that I've always been interested in as well. And, and, and I think more and more Premier League fans are going to get interested in it too as, the, as teams begin to cotton on to the... To, to, to the, the, the viability of scouting in that, in that fashion as well. Uh, well, sorry for talking your ear off. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of chances to talk about Aston Villa over here. There aren't many people I can just walk by and start a conversation about that. Um, I really appreciate you having me on. If any of your listeners are interested in NFL football in general or specifically fantasy football, um, just go and check out our podcast, the Road to Road Football Podcast. We put it out twice a week, every Tuesday and every Friday. I think you will enjoy it. Um, and, you know, our season is supposed to start up here in a month. So we'll see if that happens. Cross your fingers. I would like to be employed. Um, but if not, Neil, I will always have my now childlike enthusiasm for Aston Villa. And again, thank you for having me on and sorry about my monologues today. Not at all. It's more like, as I say, you talking about Aston Villa is sometimes like I get down the rabbit hole about talking about Cleveland Browns like that. I, right. I don't know why I'm so passionate about it when I get the opportunity to speak to somebody who shares my pain with the Browns. Sometimes, uh, you know, I like to get I like I like to get get it all out. So I completely, completely understand. And, and your, your passion and your enthusiasm even on Twitter is, is so infectious. And uh, I'm just delighted that, that you will pop on, you know, and, and, and talk about it before I let you go, though. I have to start yeah. out something. I have to start out something for one of your uh, co-hosts on the Road to World podcast. Um, Road to World Pat, 
is uh, on your most recent podcast, you guys uh, had, a, had a bit of a back and forth about how to pronounce his surname. Now, I'm going to get you to try and pronounce it as you pronounce his surname. <laughs> Should we spell it first? It's D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. And yeah. what I, I, I go Doherty. Now, he wants me to pronounce it Darty, but we are both incorrect, I'm sure. And he gets mad at me every single time because there's so many letters involved. But once again, I side with Doherty. Neil, how far off am I? Pat is probably, well, Pat is right because it's his name. So he can pronounce it whatever way he wants to <laughs> it. So, so that's really the, the answer to it. But uh, we would pronounce it Doherty. Exactly. We would pronounce it probably more emphasis on the, on the A-U and the H. Uh, Doherty. Uh, that's probably how we would pronounce it. Um, Kind of like as if you're saying daughter, <laughs> Doherty. Instead, instead of daughter? Yeah. You know, we, we destroy everything that is pure and nice and fluffy <laughs> over here. So uh, names oftentimes do that as well. So one, I apologize for every American ever as well. So. It's, it's like the one that the first time I ever came uh, into contact with the American, Americanization of Irish names was in Police Academy where Mahoney is in Ireland, he's called Mahoney. And in America, he's called Mahoney. And I, I could never understand. Why are they pronouncing his name wrong as a six-year-old kid? going, They're pronouncing his name wrong. Shut up and watch the film. That's all I was ever told. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'll let him know. I'll let him know he's right. As, as difficult as that will be. <laughs> Excellent. Well, everybody, as I say, it's been an absolute blast having Josh on today. Um, you, know, you can find him. He's got a very, very easy to remember Twitter handle. It's at Josh Norris. He's the guy with the, with the, with the blue tick. Uh, you'll definitely find him there. And as I say, please check out the Rotor World podcast and please check out if you're interested in the NFL. And I know a lot of you guys are because there's a heavy crossover between the Browns and Aston Villa um, and, and NFL in general and Aston Villa through Randy Lerner. Um, the, you know, please check out the Rotor World podcast if you aren't doing so already. Um, you can check out this podcast. You know, like, well, if you're listening, I hope you're checking it out already. But you can find you can find us on at at Love McGrath Pod. I'm still struggling with the change of handle at the moment, and, and I need to stop that because Philip, uh, part of the Aston Villa Lions Club, is actually going to give me more stick over that again. He keeps on saying that I need to write it down somewhere, but I do. I've got it written down here, but I still struggle to get it out. So it's at Love McGrath Pod, and um, you know you can follow us there, and you can check us out in any of the podcast, any podcast network. Now we'd be delighted to to have any five five star ratings from anybody, and any written ratings really helps us out and gets us, you know, an algorithm to kick us up to the top of the charts somewhere which is is always helpful um once again josh i really really thank you thank you for coming on and spending time We're, we've been chatting for nearly an hour now and it's been a really really refreshing great hour to get me started for my weekend um and the sun is shining in the window so i'm in great form now after chatting to you to get <laughs> off and uh and maybe 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 catch a beer somewhere the pubs still aren't open in ireland we, they were supposed to open on monday again and uh, a publis ireland is uh, a different type of Ireland, but we can understand why they're closed. But uh, yeah, we might be able to try and, try and grab a beer somewhere if we, if we possibly can uh, in the sun. But thank you so much for coming on. I hope you're all safe over there in Connecticut and, um, you know, be delighted to have you on in the future. Absolutely, Neil. Up the villa. Up the villa, indeed. And that's what I was just about to say. All that's left to say is up the villa. <laughs> there we go.
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.